how do I look like Jesus in my marriage? How do I look like Jesus with my kids? How do I look like Jesus on my job? See, it's not my career that's at stake. What's at stake is the testimony of Jesus before a watching world. How do we look like Jesus before a watching world? That's the bottom line, isn't it? Do people see their need of the Savior by the way you and I live our lives? Welcome to Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Lorenz. Well, in a few moments, the second half of Crawford's message, Christ Exalting Relationships. It's part of a series of messages titled His Church, based on the Apostle Paul's letter to the Church of Colossae. We are discovering why it's so important to live in such a way as to attract others to Jesus. The messages we feature on this program come from Crawford's 15 years as senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in Roswell, Georgia. But his involvement in Christian ministry spans some 50 years, including leadership in Campus Crusade for Christ and in church planting. Crawford now mentors those in Christian leadership through his organization, Beyond Our Generation. Well, it's time to return to our passage in Colossians chapter 3 and chapter 4. Last week, Crawford stated that Jesus needs to reign supremely in our primary relationships, like marriage. How about the relationship we have with our kids? Let's pick it up right there. Here's Crawford Loritz on Living a Legacy. Can't nobody sanctify you faster than your children. <laughs> Lord, have mercy. You all heard me say this, you know, it's, it's amazing uh, when you raise your kids in the, and I, I don't mean for this to sound condescending or dismissive here, but I, I just, you know, I, I'm just an observer of life and my own experience. Y- your children, when they get into their early mid-twenties, become incredibly insightful about your dysfunctions. <laughs> Enormously insightful. And I remember one of our kids, they were in that mid-twenty-ish kind of thing, and said, you know, I need to talk to you you and mom, about some of the things you did when you raised us. <laughs> so I sat down, we listened. <laughs> you know. So I said, now which course on the introductory of psychology did you take? Where'd you get that from? <laughs> so then, then I said, you know, they think, my kids think I'm nuts. I said, yeah, well, you know, I could kind of uh, maybe autopsy some of the stuff that you said. I don't completely agree with all that. But the bottom line is this. What's the bottom line, Dad? Well, the bottom line is this. Jesus didn't raise you. I did. <laughs> you know, I don't walk on water. He does. And, uh, and it's amazing how godly and wise we are when they hit about 30 after a couple of their own kids. And they go, oh, you're so brilliant. Oh, really? <laughs> I thought we were dysfunctional. So, yeah, you laugh. These younger ones are going, I, I would never say that. Oh, shut up. Yes, you will. But children, he addresses children first here. And he has a strong word for kids. And Paul does not dance around things. He says, okay, if you're a young person and you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, here's your responsibility. He says, children, obey your parents, and everything. Why? For this pleases the Lord. There's no exceptional exception clauses here. You obey. Obey. 
obey. And see, one of, the, one of our problems is, and uh, I was in a board meeting with, uh, and she's here, so I don't, wanna, I don't want to uh, embarrass her, but uh, Kobe Langerak and I serve on the board of crew, and she said something in a meeting that was really profound. She said a lot of profound things in a meeting, but she said something the other day that, and I, I, I'm, I'm, I hope I'm getting this right. Uh, she says, you know, we are heavy on culture, but light on truth. And one of our, one of our problems is, is that we allow the culture, we, uh, the culture is averse to authority. They're, they're averse to authority. They, they, don't like, they don't like authority. Everything right now is consensus, and nobody should speak strong opinions, and the reason for that is because, you know, we've, we've kind of like disinvited truth. We don't think there's an objective standard of truth, my truth, your truth, and everybody's kind of like the same. So obedience is sort of a, sort of a weaselly relevant, relative term, and don't, you don't want to use that term until you've convinced people and sold them on the value of who you are and what's to take away from that and how it's going to benefit them and then you say now will you join us and the problem is we're raising kids like that <laughs> raising kids like that I had somebody tell me what was it eight or nine year old kid didn't want to go to church he said well and I don't want to force him he's nine <laughs> brush your teeth get in a car we're going to church he's nine obedience Obedience, it's not a bad thing. Authority, it can be abused. Authority, yes, it can be misused, and, and, and you gotta be careful of that. But authority, authority is right. In fact, in the Old Testament, there were some very severe things that happened to kids who did not obey. God, God, God associates, hear me, hear me, hear me. God associates disobedience with a rebellion. It's not cute. Obedience reflects God's design for order in the home and in the structure of society. God is into, as you've heard me say, the theology of incarnation. God is into mirroring what heaven is about in earth. And so he creates structure, he creates family, he creates government, all of that having to be stewards of, here's the bad word, authority. Authority can be perverted, authority can be marred by sin, but obedience is right. Chances are, if our kids are not listening at home, they won't respond to authority outside of the home. I'm just trying to tell you how to help your child get and keep a job. And you can't raise your children afraid of them. You can't do that. We have discovered kids want what they run from. It's a weird paradox. They desire someone to love them enough and have the courage enough to look them in the eye and tell them, no, you're not doing this, and if you do it, you will be given the gift of consequences. <laughs> Obey. I have, seen, I, I have seen so many, and I've worked with younger leaders my whole life, uh, some of them are so messed up, and I gotta tell you why they're messed up, hear me on this, hear me on this, is because they had permissive parents. 
They have trouble showing up on time. They're ruled by their emotions. They think with their feelings. They can't hang in there and persevere because permissiveness has taught them if they don't like it, I don't need to do it. Now you can imagine what that does to their character. It is important that your children learn eventually that the most positive word in the English language is no. If you can say no to yourself, you're free to do what you're supposed to do. I know adults who don't have gotten that yet. So obedience is a big deal. In fact, Paul's commentary in Ephesians 6, 1 says children are to obey their parents because it is right and it pleases the Lord. Obedience brings the pleasure of God. Brings the pleasure of God. Now, obviously, I think children are not to obey when what is being told is a violation of God's word. Obviously. And make sure your children know that you're the parent and not God. That's the reason why they, they, they ought to see the credibility of your life and, and, and you ought to repent to your children and, and t- let them know when you are wrong. Now, flipping this around, now notice what he says to fathers here. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. The other, other side of this thing is that just, just, just as he speaks to the husbands. No, 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 yeah, they submit, but, 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 but there's some synergy here. You need to set the table in your role, which it creates a synergistic environment for everybody to be drawn to and encouraged to live out the Lordship of Christ. And he says, okay, fathers. And by the way, he doesn't say, say mother here because every child, many of you have heard me say this before, every child has two primary um, emotional needs, two broad categories of emotional needs. They've got more than two emotional needs, two broad categories of emotional needs. Every child has a need for nurture, tenderness, warmth, care, that kind of thing. That's a role not exclusively, but primarily of the mother. Every child paradoxically also has the need for daily doses of discipline, denial, and direction. That's the role not exclusively, but primarily of the father. Now, some single parent situation, the mom has to do it or, or, or whatever. And so that's the reason why he, he's speaking to fathers here, because he says your fathers are the gatekeepers of direction and the future. And so he says to fathers, hey, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now, the word provoke literally could have been translated, don't irritate them. Don't irritate them. Don't pick on them. In other words, don't get secondary with them. Uh, Don't continue to agitate your children by unreasonable demands. It drains them of confidence and courage. You know, the old cliche is true. You gotta pick your battles when you raise kids. Pick your battles. Not everything is worth going to the mat over. You've heard me say this before. You know, we had some great influences in our lives as our kids were growing up. And one of the great messages that's spoken to us, it says, Crawford, you and Karen pull out the heavy artillery when it comes to character. When it comes to character, that's when, that's, that's when you get in a ring with them. But understand, as they grow, there are going to be preferences, things that you don't like, the way they dress or what they hair and this kind of thing or, or whatever. Uh, now, with our daughters, I've had them make a couple of U-turns before they went out the door. But, uh, 
you know, uh, you win the battle in the area of character. That's where you wage war. You don't, you don't get all bent out of shape because of hair. I wish I had more. <laughs> you, 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 don't, you don't do that. I mean, it's like, you know, I've, I've, seen, I've, seen, I've seen Christian parents just needle their kids to death, and it ain't nothing but a bunch of their preferences. Right. You know, kids making good decisions, loves Jesus, he ain't in jail, and it's just hair. <laughs> I don't like his music. Well, as long as the words ain't bad, it's, tell them get some earphones or some beats and close the door, whatever. It's just music. I had one of these rabid legalists foaming at the mouth a um, number of years ago. <laughs> I was talking about all these young boys getting their ears pierced and all that stuff. I don't, that ain't of God. Can't be doing that. It's just, just kind of thing. And I just said, I was in some Q&A thing. I said, really? I said, you know, if one of my sons want to get his ears pierced, I'm telling them, I, I, that ain't my preference. I wish you'd wait. But if it was a choice between that and him walking away from faith, I'd get my pierced. We'd go and get an appointment together. I'd get my nose pierced. I don't think I'd do that, but anyway. <laughs> Pick your battles. And, and, and another word is that, look, I think what Paul is saying here, I think as parents, don't look to say no. Look to say yes. Try to figure out how often you can say yes so that when you say no, you're not withdrawing more than you've deposited in them. But don't pick on them. Just choose. Then thirdly, in my marriage, with my kids, and then on my job. Now, I got to tell you here, I, uh, uh, this is about slavery here, and if you read commentaries that have been written, I would say uh, 25 years ago and older, um, they, they, will, they, will, they will switch this and, and they'll apply this to employee-employer relationships. And I think there's some principles that apply, I do, but I also want to speak to the primary context in which Paul is giving this. Uh, he's talking about slavery here, about slavery. And he's addressing these believers who are slaves. He says in verse 22, bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as, as your reward you are serving the Lord Christ. I do think that there's some secondary applications to employees, but I think the, the primary thing that we've got to wrestle with is the context of what Paul is talking about here. Now, he uses, this is, in, this is translated bondservant, bondservant. Actually, uh, uh, the word is doulos, and doulos is simply translated servant. But in certain contexts, um, depending on what the context infers, they will say rather slave or servant or bondservant here. Bondservants typically signed a contract, a seven-year contract with the person that they were entering service with. 
Now, they were slaves, but they were bond servants. At the end of that seven years, by the way, they were paid all the money that accrued to them. The exception was if you were a bond servant in Caesar's household, you served for 14 years. There was a contract there. Now, that's typically what, what, what this meant. Now, what you have to understand here is that nearly one-third of the Roman Empire during the time that Paul wrote this were slaves of the whole Roman Empire. Now, slavery there and slavery here are, are, are markedly different, markedly different. The slavery there was not necessarily ethnically or racially based. Uh, a lot of the slavery there were, were conquered peoples that they bought within the Roman Empire. You had former lawyers and, and physicians and teachers and what have you who were slaves who were just as white as the Romans, but they were slaves. Now, that's not to minimize this. There was also, which makes it very difficult, scholars are kind of confused here. Uh, it makes it difficult because there, there was a brand of slavery that was oppressive. And I think this is what Paul is talking about here as you read the language here. There is a brand of slavery that was oppressive. And there were some slaves who were permanent slaves, and they were mistreated. And so, uh, the other thing I'd like to say here, too, is that um, Paul is not endorsing slavery. He's not endorsing slavery at all. What Paul is doing and what Peter does, too, as they speak uh, uh, about slavery, what they are doing there is telling, they're telling the slaves how to survive and thrive in the midst of an oppressive situation. His, his mindset was, how are they going to make it? And there are also some believers here who own slaves. And he speaks to them too. So what does he say here? In verse 22, he says, look, 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 you're in this situation. You are slave. And he says here, I want you to obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. There's a subtle inference here. The subtle inference is that your slave owner does not have ultimate ownership of you and doesn't control your destiny. You're in a situation that you don't like. And by the way, this does apply to employment too. You may be on a job that you don't like. You can't stand, in fact. But you got to be there. Nothing else has opened up. I would encourage you, if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, do not mail it in. You're now tested with the Lordship of Christ. And so you give 100%, even when you know that this ain't a fit, this is terrible, uh, I don't like it, I don't like the people that I'm working with, I don't like the rules and regulations here, I don't like how they trade out the menu of things. Why? Because you're looking past that. God, God has placed you. God has placed you there. Verse 23 tells us that working within it, uh, with an awareness of God's character and presence enhances the dignity of our work. Because I'm looking past the circumstances and I'm seeing a great God. Even as slaves. There's never an excuse, hear me on this, and I understand it, I've been there. There's never an excuse for a follower of Christ not to do what is right. Yes, it's hard, they're mistreating you, man. 
but in the name of Jesus. Let's do what's right. Verse 24 says, we have a permanent reward in heaven. That's our payday. God sees our suffering and will honor our faithful labor. He says, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly. Here you have it. Knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Just because you have a position of power does not mean that you're God. And for those of us who employ people, who have a position of authority, power is a stewardship. And the more you have, the more accountable you are. And in the Bible, the only reason why we have power is to bless and empower people. There's a lot of things that I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to say about slavery here. Was rebellion justified? Uh, what about Harriet Tubman and going back and uh, Moses? And I, I personally feel it was because the slave system in this country, in this country violated the Imago Dei. It violated creation order and it violated the dignity that God created all mankind to experience. And it was ruthless. And interestingly enough, the Constitution, oddly enough, gave us permission. And I would argue that rebellion, with quotes around it, was obedience to the law of the land. Because it was that document in a democratic republic that we could use to exercise justice. Enough of that. The Lordship of Jesus Christ has to govern every single relationship we have, period. The question is never, ultimately, am I happy? The ultimate question is, what honors the Savior? And how do I grow? And how do I develop? And how do I move forward? And how do I look like Jesus in my marriage? How do I like, look like Jesus with my kids? How do I look like Jesus on my job? See, it's not my career that's at stake. What's at stake is the testimony of Jesus before a watching world. Well, a lot to think about there in the closing thoughts of the message, Christ Exalting Relationships. Our speaker was Crawford Loretz, and he's been leading us through a series of messages titled His Church, based on the Apostle Paul's letter to the Church of Colossae. Next week, we'll begin to wrap up the series with Crawford's message, Up and Out, based on Colossians 4. Hey, thanks for letting us know how God is using the teaching each week here on Living a Legacy. Your emails help assure us that this program continues to be a great source of Bible teaching for you. Get in touch with us through legacyatmoody.edu. If you missed part of today's message, you can stream all of it on our website. Go to livingalegacy.org. And to download this program to your MP3 player, look for the MP3 link on the website. This and many other messages by Crawford are available to download for free. Start with livingalegacy.org. For Crawford Loretz, I'm Bill Davis. Thank you for joining us today. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.